Hey everybody, and welcome back to the So You Want to Be Me podcast. We have another special guest joining us today, which I will let him do the honors of doing his own introduction, but I'm super excited to get to know a little bit more about his role, what he does, and you know what are some of the benefits and the disadvantages of his role, but also more importantly, some of you guys did submit some questions, so wanted to answer those as well. And that being said, I will pass it over to Louie. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Excited to finally be here and get this launched and, and yeah. started. Just as an FYI, it did take us two hours to uh, set up these mics. So if there are mic issues, just don't say anything. But yeah, so Louis, what do you do? So in summary, day to day, I'm a full-time real estate agent in downtown Toronto. And on the side, I do property management and would like to get into development in the long run. I have a micro project on the development side going on. Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. So I guess, yeah, maybe take us through like why real estate and like how did you get here? Oh, wow. Um, it's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I worked in retail banking from 18 to 25, 26 and wanted to do something different than the typical nine to five. Basically, I did like where I was in banking, but I couldn't do the same thing day in and day out. I just started getting sick of it. And I thought that real estate would be something that would allow me to, let's say, dictate my own schedule or allow me to do different things every single day. And it's been 100% that and more like no two days are ever the same. As much as I try to make them like some type of structure, it's, it's impossible. So yeah, I just wanted basically the, the change day to day of of not having to have the exact same schedule. Yeah. And finance does come as like a huge part of the job, I would say, like helping your clients with understanding like mortgages and mortgage rates and, you know, what's kind of out there. So do you think like, is, is that kind of why you started working at like the financial retail side of it? Or is that something that you were looking to explore? So yeah, on the finance side of it or why I got into banking, I just wanted to do that. Like, I wanted to be like a portfolio manager in the long run. That was the goal of being in the retail banking is eventually get into managing people's money on a, like a private level of having a fa- about 250 families who you would manage their day-to-day investments. That was the end goal. And then sometime while being at the bank, I figured out that let's say stocks were are fake yeah. and that something <laughs> happens in Japan and then the stock in Toronto goes down. It's like, well, how am I supposed to control that thing happening yeah. in Japan? It's so impossible to control. control. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Versus real estate, it's like, okay, well, it's here. I can physically see it. I can physically touch it. I can make upgrades to it. So then that's when I went from finance to yeah. real estate. Yeah. Uh, is when I made that like realization. That's um, fair. There's and, a lot of intricacies, I would say, in banking that people don't really acknowledge until, like, you've actually worked in the field or even at least studied, but, yeah. No, yeah, there's too many things going on that I didn't like that are out of your control versus real estate. You can control it much better besides, obviously, mm-hmm. the only real thing that negatively affects you or positively affects you is, is interest rates. So as long as you can go with the flow and interest rates, like, see where the Fed is going, don't fight the Fed, Um you're fine versus the stock market has all these these other yeah. things going on so 
yeah. that was the main thing. But yeah, to your point of how does finance affect me for real estate, the number one biggest thing is understanding mortgages for real estate. So one of the biggest assets I have is being able to deal with someone right at the beginning when like generally the first discussion someone has with a real estate agent is, oh, what do I get approved for? And most people yeah. are like, oh yeah, I just go talk to a mortgage broker and then see me in two weeks. Yeah, versus, it's affordability, yeah. Yeah, versus me sitting down with them. Okay, you still have to talk to a mortgage broker, but this is a rough numbers of what you can afford. Yeah. This is the difference between variable, this is fixed. Yeah. So yeah, I can go through that with them. And, and from the finance perspective that I would say the vast majority of real estate agents don't even know how a mortgage approval works. Yeah. I think that's a huge asset for you as a realtor is like understanding that process and being able to, because again, at the end of the day, you're only going to be able to buy what you're approved for, not what you think you're going to be approved for. So if you don't really even know the like process of getting that approval and how mortgages work or, you know, how a home equity line of credit works, like as a buyer, that's obviously very intimidating. So having a real estate agent who knows both sides, I think is a, is very valuable. Ryerson recently got a program. So as far as I know, it's on actual real estate university courses or university programs. I'm pretty sure University of British Columbia has one. They're the ones who pioneered it. And then Ryerson recently got one or got one as I was leaving. So I did finance and business law at Ryerson. And it was great. It was good. I wanted to learn stocks and finance and present values and future values so I I got those buzzwords (laughs) I got what I needed to get out of it but then again like you had said like from the theory to practice perspective like you don't understand it until you're in it yeah it's very different so when I'm studying it from a theory perspective it's like well if a company makes this earnings this is how you value it versus in real life it's not like that yeah until you get into it you don't know yeah um but yeah, so I did finance and business law, and those are, I think, are two great things. That to, compliment. Yeah, exactly. Compliment. Mm-hmm. I had no interest in going into real yeah. estate when I was in years, like zero. Yeah, I, I think that that too, like, because again, you know, me being in tech sales, it was also one of those things where I wouldn't even have known if I was interested in going into it because it just wasn't something that was very promoted or like publicized when I was in university. There were no courses or you know especially programs and now that they're definitely developing that so it's really interesting to see like where universities are putting money into into like creating these programs because obviously it's you know being like I know so many other people as well who are real estate agents so obviously there needs to be some form of education around that you can't just throw people into these roles because there's so many things that you need to know as a real estate agent that I think you know you could probably figure that out in university and I think having those courses and like a negotiation course, for example, mm. and just like knowing all that I think is important. Yeah. So that's very interesting then. So maybe talk a little bit more about your experience as a real estate agent and how you like anticipate to grow your career. Like what are some of the opportunities within your field for you know people who are maybe looking to get into real estate or are just interested in learning more about it? Yeah, one of the actually just want to touch on the school thing again, just because I think it's so important. So I want to just like put it out there. Licensing courses that are there, like when you get your real estate license, like they're great in that it teaches how to protect the consumer. Like that's like the main focus of like mm-hmm. getting your real estate license. It's like okay, this is what you do to protect yourself and to protect yeah. your client. Versus like what you just said about negotiations, like within the real estate courses, 
there's not much for negotiations like when you get your license mm, and there's also not much for like real estate and economic practical knowledge they teach you like the economics but like it's missing a practical perspective mm -hmm. that i think should be there in that let's say for example if you become a mutual fund advisor or a stock advisor and you're getting your cfa you have to go through like three years mm -hmm. until you get become your designated cfa and so you have to go to university and then three years of doing cfa or two years whatever it is yeah. exactly so you've done like five six six or seven years total before you can manage a portfolio yeah that has a percentage of someone's wealth like let's say 200 300 000 yeah versus someone who's purchasing a home mm -hmm. who's generally it's a million plus invested mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you have to do this course that's not as long it's not a seven year yeah. course that's huge yeah right and even when you're in the banking industry with your cfa you're all regulated within the bank yeah versus as a realtor you're like on your own yeah yeah giving people advisory and all you've done is a course yeah. that's not as not intense. as yeah and i think that comes to it too like i think you just really have to trust your realtor like to trust that they know what they're doing mm -hmm. which like with most things like most professions you want to trust like a doctor that they know what they're doing or like a plumber that they know what they're doing and it's all specifically with like real estate you want to make sure that you're you know using a realtor who understands like the financial commitment you're making and like whether an area is good or bad or like whether this apartment is like good or bad and like will it fit your lifestyle i think that's really important but those are you know I wouldn't say like there's skills that you could learn. Those are kind of the skills that you would have to just learn as you go, I guess. Yeah. And like with your experience, but yeah, that's very interesting. Do you see that like within the realtor community then, I guess, are they looking to expand that into something more concrete or are they just still sticking with like kind of some of the certificates? You know, so they recently did. So they moved it from like a, a five course program, which is a, what I did a five course, then two extracurriculars mm -hmm. to a, uh, Humber College, like actual course, like now more like a college program. Like it's like a much more structured, exactly. Mm -hmm. Versus before, I was kind of like I got a book in the mail, read this, and go to a multiple yeah. choice test. Yeah. Uh, education piece has to be there, but it's also like you said, like you didn't know what you wanted to do, you didn't know tech sales were being promoted. Yeah. So it's almost the same thing for realtors. It's like I don't know anyone who, after or in high school was like, oh, I want to be a realtor when I grow up. Yeah. Nobody says that. It's a very well-rounded career in that you have to, like, wear all the hats, especially when you're starting off with, like, okay, you're the marketing department. Yeah. You're the finance department. You're the accounting department. Yeah. You are the um, <laughs> department. You're the single department. It's like that for any, like, entrepreneur, obviously. I get it. Yeah. But, like, for realtor, it's a little bit more exaggerated because in every aspect, it's, it's expected to be, like, our marketing specifically usually on Instagram or whatever social media has to be on point and then accounting our accounting is even a little bit different because we're registered under within the tax act under our own mm -hmm. unique thing called a prec like a personal real estate corporation that was created yeah under the CRA just for realtors yeah so it's another layer like yeah so within every aspect we're, we're very specialized yeah that's why I let my dad do my taxes because <laughs> I'm like Honestly, like, especially I feel like when you get commission based or again, like you're a contractor or like freelancing, it just taxes are just chaos. Yeah. And most of me is wonders why they can't just tell me what my tax is. Like, you know, they know, you know <laughs> what I should be paying in tax. And then you're like, I'm going to have you submit it. 
And if you get it wrong, you're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> like, it gives me anxiety once a year. I'm like, I don't want to go to jail because I didn't know how to do my taxes you're properly. Out, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I guess, you know, understanding that you wear so many hats. Um, obviously, you said you like what you do. Love so. It love what you do even better so what are some of the benefits of working in your role i like to always say like i can dictate my own day in air quotes uh but it's really between like you and your clients like you're you guys are dictating the day together but like something this might sound foolish or whatever but my one of my best friends recently his grandfather died and mm-hmm. like I could, I went to the viewing and I also went to the funeral the next day and took that next mm-hmm. full day off so I could be there from like say morning to afternoon. Mm-hmm. And if I worked in my retail banking job, there's no way I could take yeah. a full day off because it's my best flexible. friend's grandfather passed away. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. That's not happening. Yeah. Uh, but I could do that when I'm working for myself. Yeah. Um, You're so in control of your own destiny yeah, kind and that, of thing. That freedom, yeah. obviously you can put a price on it, but you can't put that much of a price on it. Like I... To me, that means a lot mm-hmm. for me to be able to do that and be there for him and just be there because yeah. that's something I want to do that day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Mark Cuban said it. He's like, I'd rather make $50,000 as an entrepreneur than 200000 as working for a company. Agreed. So that's yeah. just a personal choice thing. But I would, for me, that's the most important thing on my side. Yeah. But the, the flexibility is probably like a really big benefit. Um, yeah, it's just a personal yeah. choice, right? Because then there's also the flip side of that, the negative of that, of like, so always being available at the same time mm-hmm. of like, okay, well, we can book this at seven, we can book this at eight, mm-hmm. which is generally when you're working evenings and weekends. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think also like your clients probably work the nine to five. So, yeah. you know, they can't go at, you know, 2 p.m. So you have to kind of make the time after their work and, and, it's flexible, but it also could be very late nights, like very early mornings, just like kind of whatever the client really needs at the time. So that could be stressful. And, and again, that's not a job that everybody can do, right? Like, is oh, that a good thing? Some, no, there's definitely some crazy days I get that's like, oh, I was like, let me just get back to banking. Like, give, yeah. me, the, give me the nine to five. Like, what am I doing here? Yeah. But then after, no, like it goes away quickly. Yeah. Like, Even though you love it so much, what are some of the difficulties of your role? So being always on is definitely a thing. Like right now as we're here doing this, I'm I'm waiting for like (laughs) an offer to come back and the expiry time on is 11.59 p.m. Oh, wow. That's right. So it's just generally an industry. We, I don't know why we do this. I'm trying to change this personally as a practice. Yeah. But in industry, it's 11.59 p.m. is the, the deadline at the end of the day. So... And it's coming from Vancouver on the other side. So they're three hours oh, behind. Yeah. So for them, it's nine o'clock. So he might literally get back to me at midnight. So now tonight, yeah. have, I have to be awake and alert and on work-wise mm-hmm. until this comes back. And it's a random Monday night and I wasn't expecting this today. Yeah. Um, you're not 100% present in certain moments, let's say with significant others or or, or at the time when, when a, a deal's active. And the busier you get and the more successful you get, that becomes more common yeah like it's not a one-off thing yeah you want to be doing a few deals a month yeah so it's hard to set boundaries i guess yeah you mentioned that in the see your second podcast of yeah. like there's always something to do like during covid you said you were working yeah yeah during covid i didn't even because i didn't even understand boundary of work and life and especially when during covid we, we were all at home we didn't really go outside we didn't really do much else so 
really nothing that kind of told me, hey, it's time to close your laptop, except for my mom being like, you need to eat dinner. There was a point there when I was busy, like I would just Uber eats food in. Yeah. But no, no, I'll stop because I'm actually in office. I don't work from home mm -hmm. and go have lunch inside of somewhere. Yeah. Take, sit down, have the lunch there, just change of atmosphere, change yeah. everything instead of being in the office because sometimes I'm in the office like 12, 10 hours a day. Yeah. I think that makes a huge difference too. Like just the value even of going on a walk, for example, mm -hmm. in the middle of the day, even if it's like a 15 minute walk, it makes a huge difference because you're just giving yourself the break. I saw this one study where they were talking about if you're taking a break from your laptop and work and you go on your phone, it's not really like a break. You're not really like sure. Maybe you're distancing yourself from the work that you're doing at your job, but you're not really disconnecting from like technology and you're not really mentally disconnecting mm -hmm. from you know, being so active because um, social media is just very overwhelming all the time at, you know, there's so many things going on on yeah. there. So just if you go um, eat your lunch and you're just scrolling through, you know, your phone, it's not as much of a disconnect as if you like actually just take the time to, you know, move yourself into a new atmosphere, whether it be outside or like a restaurant or something. That's actually really good that you do that. But that being said, how do you feel about the whole like working from the office every day? That's where work's done in an office. But that's very <laughs> interesting because like with work from home, like do you have the option of working from home or would you prefer to work at the office? Yeah. So realtors let not, not led, but realtors always worked from home before the term work from home was even a term. Mm -hmm. So you guys um, claimed it. Yeah, because you could work at home you need a laptop and you're making calls yeah even most real estate offices do not have real offices it's mm -hmm. either like a shared office space type vibe yeah or some entry-level offices have nothing like it's just a place to drop off checks yeah I'm fortunate enough to work at a, or to choose to work at a brokerage that has a full-blown office we have our own desk and everything our own dedicated desk mm -hmm. and i'm in the office every single day and I choose to be there. That's where work gets done. The concept of work from home does, doesn't does work for any industry, in my opinion, and specifically for real estate. Mm -hmm. um, I Why used do to, you say that? Well, yeah, I used to sit beside uh, one of the most senior guys in my office. So when I first started, I would listen to him negotiate and mm -hmm. talk on the phone. And he was doing some of the biggest land assemblies in the city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And to hear him negotiate, like, go put a value on what I learned by that. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have got that if I was in my condo working from mm -hmm. home. Like that's right. Yeah. And then knowing what goes on in the market. So let's say, so I focus on like downtown core and Etobicoke. If I'm running into the office and I see someone who focuses on Mississauga, they can tell me, oh, what's going on this week? So this went to bids. This is what's going on. It's, it's slowing down in Mississauga. It's, mm -hmm. it's heating up. Um, you can, again, you can't get that conversation at home. Yeah. Uh, you see someone's marketing material. Oh, is this working for you? Is this not? There's all those synergies that are going on that you don't mm -hmm. even realize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that only happens. And it doesn't matter what your job is. Like I said, and realtors would be the best example of being able to work from home because it's only me and my clients. Mm -hmm. But I can add so much more value and create the best real estate business mm -hmm. by learning from the people around me 100%. Yeah. So I think, it's, I think the entire work from home Thing is going to be dead by the end of this year and i'm calling it now this year <laughs> yeah, oh this i'm not ready finish arguably 
like do we need to work five days a week maybe maybe not maybe oh, yeah, four that's days is better yeah. right but the thing is i think companies want you there for longer for some reason it's like I, it's it's in, it's interesting to look at productivity versus time like it's almost mm. more like a quality quantity thing just because you give me more time to do something doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna get done yeah. better it's probably just gonna get done later do you know what i mean like it my task is just gonna be set off to you know prioritize things that are due tomorrow versus this thing that's due next week right so yeah and there's a lot of downtime of like let's say chit-chatting amongst people yeah. and stuff i almost feel like yeah, so I agree that the nine to five work week, the five day a week, nine to five should be changed, and maybe a four day work week works better. I know some places in Europe have tried it and have done it permanently. Yeah, um, Europe is just much better at so <laughs> many things. But like almost like let's say on a Monday morning, like for it's mandatory to be at the office, and you have to like chit chat. Mm-hmm. Like oh, we're having like a, a mix and mingle. Yeah, from nine to ten, you're not allowed to do work, but you also must you have to be there skip it Mm -hmm. so now you find out everybody's weekend so now you you've let's say in air quotes wasted the time Mm -hmm. um and now the rest of the day well you've already caught up with yeah susie and dylan so yeah (laughs) you can go about your day yeah you can yeah no i i actually like that concept it's like the water cooler talk yeah that you know we missed during covid for sure um but i think it adds just a lot of value i think also like speaking to people in the morning some people hate it. I find it almost like it wakes me up, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm excited. I've yeah. kind of gotten out a little bit of the energy. And it almost, yeah, it gives me more energy to continue throughout my day. But it also just makes things more fun. So I'm like, oh, okay, like this is nice. Whereas like when I'm at home, working from home, and I'm talking to myself in the morning, it's, it's or my Alexa. <laughs> well, there's it's also yeah, huge fun, mental right? effects that yeah. we don't know and we haven't been able to properly measure and i mean know how we go about measuring this until yeah enough time well goes yeah by. i was gonna say there's not i feel like that would be different i mean i'm sure they're doing studies as well but you have to find the constant right yeah. like what is the constant what what would you even use as your zero value exactly because there's so many things that have already affected people you can't even really have a zero value like yeah. what would this person look like but yeah, that would be a very interesting study. Um, but again, even just again, like I think an interesting study would be, and I'm sure they've done these as well, but yeah, the whole concept of productivity versus time, like you can only be so productive. I think your brain has only a capacity of being so productive within like a day or a certain time period before it needs a break. And before you kind of like plateau or like burnout, which is even worse, mm-hmm. right? But Again, just because you give me more time doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to be productive. At some point, I feel like you just kind of plateau at productivity. And you're not going to get less productive. You're just going to be as productive. But you're not going to do anything additional. Because you've already... It'll still get done in the week if you give me... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a very interesting concept. I think, especially, yeah, with COVID, it's definitely something that people have been looking into. But I do wonder how corporations are going to get around this. Especially for, you know, jobs that do have to be nine to five. Because I just don't think that younger generations are really as eager to do something like that. Which is fair. Yeah, well, they're not going to have a choice if we're That's also having fair. an impending recession. Which I think will probably hit a little <laughs> bit harder soon. Not crazy, yeah. but a little bit harder. And then... Don't we love a pandemic like, followed <laughs> by a recession? Um, this is a recession in Canada. I don't know if it's worldwide. Um, but... Hopefully it's not going to be too bad. 
No, it's not. I think the we don't have the stomach to have it bad. The federal bank or sorry, the bank of Canada will step in and yeah, and put an end to it. That's fair. But speaking of, a, I guess a recession that I feel like plays quite a bit into real estate. So how has that affected real estate over the past like maybe six months to a year? Yeah. So we went on. We were on one of the largest bull runs ever of prices going up at unsustainable levels. But when you're in it, it's hard to know like, okay, this is the top. So let's say from mm-hmm. sometime in 2020, let's call it September of 2020. So once we started understanding COVID a bit better and rates were at an all time low, we started having this massive run up in real estate until February, 2022. Um, and again, that was 100% based on interest rates. Mm-hmm being at historical lows like we're talking about like 100 year lows Mm -hmm. so it forced massive amounts of money to be poured into real estate because you could lend that you could get money at like 1.6 percent i think was one of the all-time low rates Mm -hmm. um and now in the last six months like 1.6 percent 1.6 was the fixed what a fixed five-year the lowest i saw was like 1.6 percent so that caused obviously a massive bull run. And then in the last six months, as interest rates have gone up eight times in the last year, uh, prices have come down. So about 10% for condos from their February 2022 20, highs um, and volumes are down 50%. So the number of transactions. Mm-hmm. So as a realtor, if you want to get your same piece of the pie, you have to work double the hours and mm-hmm. work twice as hard because transactions are down 50% the volumes. So yeah. yeah, that definitely had an effect of now, okay, you have to focus on lead generation and you can't just be a friends and family agent mm-hmm. of like, oh, my friends and family are going to support me and they're going to buy enough. No, no, no. Like, yeah. that's all dried up. You have to be a, you yeah. have to convert a stranger into a client, basically. And how do you go about doing that? Well, yeah, there's a few ways of like lead generating, like, my main thing personally is through Instagram mm-hmm. of people reaching out who I have, let's say either some type of relationship with them. If I'm following them on Instagram and they're following me, um, and by pulling out good quality content, not just bot, bot sold, bot sold. I yeah. hate, hate when realtors do that. Like no one cares. Yeah. I don't care about your personal scoreboard. Yeah. And I don't think people do. Yeah, I think to a certain extent, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, it's it's really nice to see. But, yeah, I think when you're dealing with clients, you're, like, you have to be in the mind of your clients. So yeah. It's like, what do they want to see? They and want personally... Information. Yeah, I want to see what the inside of this really cool house looks like. The, I love those reels. <laughs> when people are like, oh, you want to come with me inside? I'm like, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely, I want to come with you inside this random home that I'm probably not going to buy, but it does grab more attention and maybe even like you're more likely to share that with like a friend that you know is looking or post it to your story. You know, if I were to see you post something and I'm like, oh, this looks cool, I'd repost it and like hopefully yeah, you know, then, that would get additional. Yeah, it's additional you. views and likes, but what, what converts a stranger to a client? So mm-hmm. like by you reposting that, yeah, someone else going to like my post. Okay, but I want someone to message me like, hey, I saw Mia post to this I want to work with you. Mm-hmm. So what I believe will do that is by putting out informational videos and informational content of like, mm-hmm. hey, Louis, the go-to or Louis knows his stuff. He's smart. He's smarter than an average agent. He's, mm-hmm. 
this is why I would use him. Mm -hmm. um, I can trust him. He can negotiate. He can get stuff done. He's aggressive. Yeah. Versus someone else who just posts their bought and sold. Yeah. Like, I don't know what this means. Yeah. Um, so that's my personal thing on Instagram. I'm moving towards 100% that of, yeah, I'll, I'll post if someone, like a basic bought and sold stuff. But my goal is to get information across, valuable yeah. information. Yeah, I think that adds like a lot to the trust piece, right? Like I was saying before, you have to trust your agent. And like if, you know, they do think that you're smart and you, well, he is smart. So <laughs> when they see that you're smart and you know what you're doing and like you have all that kind of information behind you, um, it's just more trustworthy. And I, I, I was actually recently in a real estate course and that was one of the questions that came up was like, how do you find a good real estate agent? Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, one of the real like big things is trust. And another one is, are they, are they working for you or are they working for themselves? Right? Like, are they showing you what you want to see or are they just showing you what they want to get commissioned for? Right? So that's like, again, goes back to the trust piece, but it is a, a really big like piece of the puzzle for sure. Yeah. No, because even if let's say the person might not be, let's say the smartest agent but if you trust them then they're not going to screw the yeah. person over yeah basically you just have, yeah and it's it's the hard working piece too right um i think i think i said this in a previous episode too but arguably i don't think we'll ever know everything it's impossible like you'll never i mean there's so many a things you can't control and b so much new new information that comes out so you almost don't even have the opportunity to know everything because mm -hmm. there's just so much knowledge to know Right. So you don't have to be the smartest because that's a very big comparison. It's just very subjective, depending on what you think that means to be the smartest realtor out there. But as long as you're very hardworking and you earn the trust of your customer and you're willing to figure out information for them, then I think that that makes you, again, like a good realtor, because then you're you're making the effort to try to figure everything out for your client yeah. and, and build that out. Yeah. And that's another nice. big way of, of me getting businesses referrals basically mm -hmm. through that, through what you said of, of having a relationship with your existing clients. So you get it from, from them referrals. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Instagram is number one referrals is number two. Um, do you lose, do you use LinkedIn at all? I don't know if I have, uh, I haven't, let's say turned it on fully and like what it could be, mm -hmm. but it's definitely a big, and would you use that idea. for like, personal messaging or is it more so just like publications you think again I, I think you can post you can post any type of social media on all the platforms I, I don't think that there's an actual focus on oh you have to post or you can only post a photo with information on LinkedIn like I'll take what I post on Instagram and post it on yeah LinkedIn yeah. also especially a video like people love that yeah on LinkedIn because you it's kind of so repetitive on LinkedIn of very it's too professional mm -hmm. in that of course you have to be professional but you can almost take down this wall of being a little bit more personable mm -hmm. word, mm -hmm. on LinkedIn versus the standard like oh robot. congratulations it's a very robotic yeah so I believe that that's that'll be, make a big difference for LinkedIn yeah I think LinkedIn's starting to become like a professional Facebook almost because yeah. people are starting to post more personal things, like more videos, maybe some things that aren't just their job. But I think that's super important because at the end of the day, we're so much more than just our job. Like 
you're not just a realtor. Like, you're mm-hmm. Louis as a person. Yeah. Like, being a realtor is part of you. But I think we get warped into this thought process of, if I don't succeed at my job, I'm not good enough for anything. I'm, you know, the worst person ever. Yeah, like, that's the first if, thing you even ask somebody when you yeah, meet them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, what do you do for a living? Like, yeah. And it's very interesting. I actually used to get defined by my job quite a lot, um, where people... Like other people would introduce me by my job or by my role. Like that's really like super irrelevant. Like you couldn't have said something like, oh, this is Mia. She's very funny. Mm. Like something else that like is a personality trait, you know? Um, Yeah, that's, that's all I said. And then it was like, oh, wow, cool. Okay. Like tell me more about this. I'm like, I'm in a social setting. Like I don't really want to talk about work. I don't want to explain to you what I do at work because you're not going to understand anyway. Yeah. So there's no point, right? Yeah, so like for yeah. me, it's literally the exact opposite. So mm-hmm. it's like when I'm going to a social setting with like not too many people, I know where a lot of strangers <clears throat> are there Then it's like, okay, now I'm working. That's, that's the actual job. Interesting. The job is turning strangers in, into clients. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going to where I'm going this, this weekend. I think I have something coming up. Yeah. So I have a fundraiser mm-hmm. and we're going and I'm going with work on my mind. Yeah. Like, okay, whatever table I'm sitting at, I'm assuming it's yeah. going to be with eight strangers. Yeah. I have to convert these strangers into clients or mm-hmm. the, end of the, the goal is to know, okay, are they planning on moving or selling within the next year? Yeah. That's very interesting. So statistically speaking, like how well does this work? So it depends on how you execute it and you can't be going in and be like, oh, hey, I'm a real estate agent. Like, and Right like, on your forehead. Yeah. Like has Realtor. to come up throughout <laughs> the conversation, obviously naturally, mm-hmm. and it's the art. I think that's the main art of being a realtor is truly that of being able to go to a social setting and having. I don't ever tell someone, "Oh, here's my business card. Call me." Mm-hmm. It has to be them asking for my business mm-hmm. card because I've basically convinced them or yeah. given them so much knowledge that they're being like, "Oh, I have to use Louis." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're thinking of buying your song, I have to. I he. He just told me everything. He solved my problem. I need to use him. Yeah, yeah. It does have to be more natural. Just in general, I think sales of any sort needs to be natural. Otherwise, it's just really weird and it's very off-putting. And it's also like buying a home or renting. I know that you also do renting, right? It's all that. Yeah, because those people will eventually, in Toronto, in about three or four months, we're about to hit $2,500 average for a condo. What? One bedroom. Yeah. So that means and you have you, to make... And mind you, are cardboard boxes. Yeah, I think the average so for small. one bedroom is like 550 square feet we're talking. Yeah, so tiny. When we hit that $2,500 threshold, which we're months away from hitting, that means the average income to qualify is $100,000 a year. Wow. So that renter that... A lot of agents don't want to deal with, oh, I'm not dealing with the lease because I'm only getting paid $800 or mm-hmm. $900, whatever the, the fee that you get paid on that. Um, I take them all because that renter is going to turn into a buyer in That's the near future mm-hmm. because they're making literally six figures. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what anyone says or, oh, renting this and that. No, no, no. Any renter I know personally wants to become a buyer that still yeah. is the canadian american dream to, it really to buy is. Own place. i think it's i mean that was actually one of the, the submitted questions was the 
ultimate buyer rent question. So I'm very intrigued by your thoughts on that because I feel like that's such a big question, but it's all, I'm sure it's a question you hear all the time. Of whether I should buy or rent? Yeah. Like what, whether anyone should buy or rent. Because I think what people look at, right, is let's say you're living at home and you know, you're not paying a mortgage. You're you're essentially living there for free, even though mm-hmm. it's not for free, but you know. And now you have the choice of either staying at home and saving up all this money and buying or renting, but then do you have enough money to buy at some point, right? It's just like, at what point will you buy? But then it's also like, you want to move out. So it's like, what do you do in those situations, I guess? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll tell you what I did personally. Um, I had the ability and the financial ability to move out and rent when I was probably, because I was working full-time at a bank at 22, right mm-hmm. out of university, making good salary for the time 10, nine years ago. Uh, I would have qualified to move out and rent. I just moved out of my parents' house like six months ago, not mm-hmm. even, and I'm 31. Mm-hmm. So the reason I stayed home for that long was because I was able to purchase Mm-hmm. three properties over the last sorry four we've sold one but i currently own three properties with mm-hmm. my sister that i was able to acquire over the last six years yeah the only reason i did that is because i lived at home yeah now if yeah. i would have gone out and rented i would have had zero properties yeah. in my name it's the capital yeah because right. that that initial capital is weird. yeah the first one's yeah. the most difficult mm-hmm. but all that money was saved by me and my sister living at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if that didn't happen, me living at home and I just decided to rent, you would have bought nothing. So yes, if you have the luxury and the blessing to be able to stay at home with your parents or whoever, mm-hmm. 100% stay at home and do not rent. Yeah. Because I think, I think the issue too though is, again, when you're living at home, you have this misconception that you're living there for free. So you don't actually save that money, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't see people when they're like, oh, you know, I want to buy. I'm like, are you saving $2,500 a month, for example, right? If that's like what the rent price is going to be like, are you saving 2500 a month just now? Like, just out of the blue? Because that's what you're going to need to like get to that yeah. down payment. And people aren't. I think that they're like, oh, I'm going to save like $100. I'm like... But that's why we haven't had this recession. So, like, in we've been expecting a recession. We've never expected a recession. So, again, because I went to school for finance, even though I wasn't alive during these times of, like, the previous year's recessions in the last 100 years, I studied them. Like, I was fascinated by mm-hmm. how it happens, how the central banks try and protect and prevent recessions. But where I'm going with this is the reason why we don't have, we're not in this crazy recession right now, which we should be, is because so many people live at home mm-hmm. and are still spending money on like these luxury goods. Mm-hmm. If yeah. they were moved out of their house and had mortgage payments, you would be cutting down. Yeah, that's fair. Right, on day-to-day things. Yeah. But you can choose to still spend and purchase products because you're at home and you don't have rent or mortgage. Yeah. Um, so yes, you should be saving that money instead of spending it while you live at home. So pretend that you have that mortgage yeah. and yeah. save it. Not only save it, but invest it either. In, usually in a tax-free savings account is the best thing. Yeah. Go put it to work in, in the stock market. Yeah. And I as think, soon as you can yeah. afford to buy, buy. Yeah, I feel like people are sleeping quite a lot on these savings options as well. Um, 
first of all, tax-free savings. I mean, in Canada, I think in the U.S. they have the... Uh, what's it called? I think something it was the Roth 40? RA. No, that's 401k. I think they have something called a Roth RA. That yeah. Similar to the so regardless of what the savings plan is called, just something that's tax-free. Um, we have it in Canada. When you take the money out, it's still not taxed. So why not use that? Um, but also using your retirement um, savings plans or your RESPs, your registered education savings plans to help with the purchase of the home. That's also always an option as well. But I don't think people even think about using those things. Well, yeah, the two options you have to purchase a home is either the TFSA or the RRSP. Um, and now the government recently came up with another option. It's for first time home buyers. It's difficult to qualify in Toronto because of the, the purchase prices and the restrictions mm -hmm. on it. But yeah, there's tons of programs. Basically, everyone says, oh, it's harder than ever today versus our parents to buy a home. Yeah. Uh, it's actually not true. It's the complete other way around. Um, my parents could never have bought three homes um, in the time period that me and my sister did. Mm -hmm. And the reason we did that is because we lived at home. We made the equity grow. We have products like a home equity line of credit, which my mm -hmm. parents never had access to. That product yeah, didn't exist. That didn't exist, yeah. Right? Yeah. So that product has allowed me to buy a second and third home. Yeah. In yeah. a span of six years because of that. Yeah. So we actually have it much easier. And also our parents are, again, I don't, most parents or a lot of parents that I deal with are willing to help their parent, their mm -hmm. kids out with purchases. Mm -hmm. Very few people have I done a transaction for who were under 35 who didn't get significant help from yeah. their parents. Majority do. Yeah. Um, again, our parents didn't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. Yeah. It was a very different time. Yeah. I think people also forget that they weren't making as much as we do now, mm -hmm. right? Like you know, we aren't, are we making as much as like we should be given, you know, how expensive everything is nowadays? It's debatable, debatable. Yeah. Like the minimum salary, I think is not livable at this point no, anymore, 100%, right? No, it's crazy. If um, you're on minimum wage, you're not purchasing anyways. You never were, even in yeah. the past. So yeah. the concept though of the minimum wage having to go up, that's a separate topic, but it's, it's more of 25 years ago, you weren't purchasing anything on the minimum wage, yeah. so you're not today. Yeah. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. And going back to rent versus buy, with interest rates even being high now, it still makes sense to buy. The reason why is your interest rate today might be 5.5% on a five-year fixed, mm -hmm. but your interest rate on rent is 100%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Like, I, I, I with my fob parents, uh, <laughs> that's what they always said. They're like... Why are you gonna pay someone else's mortgage? Yeah, you're paying you might mortgage. Might as well get someone else. Might as well get your own. I'm like, yeah. well, if I had the down payment to get my own mortgage, that would be the first step. So I think that's where that whole rent versus buy conversation does come in. And you know, it was actually very interesting what someone. So when I was taking this real estate course, he was saying how um, the rent versus buy question is also to do with your lifestyle, because if you rent, you're just kind of you have a landlord who's going to fix things for you. Whereas like if you buy, you have to do everything yourself. So you have to do certain things yourself when you own a place. But even the landlord, there's not that many more things that he's doing, right? He's picking up the phone and just calling somebody. Yeah. It's very rare that they come out themselves to fix it. Yeah. Uh, I do personally for most of my places just because I, I can do it. So places that I own, like I'll go out when a tenant calls me, but it's usually like 
anyone anyone's place I manage as a landlord, they're sending people out. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the same concept. So I don't think there's that much work. I can't really think of, especially in the city of Toronto, there's no benefit of renting over buying. Mm. Uh, in other place, even if you're leaving, it's like, oh, well, I might, I want the freedom to leave in two years and go somewhere else. In Toronto, you can still rent that place within 10 days. It's a strong market. So it's mm-hmm. strong market. It, that's the only valid argument I've heard for places outside of Toronto. It's, oh, I want the flexibility to be able to leave. Mm-hmm. Okay, now if you're in a market that things don't rent easily or take months to rent and you can't make the payments, okay, but in Toronto, you'll rent the place in less than 10 days. Yeah. So then, even if you do have to leave, you can rent it out and now you're collecting income. Mm-hmm. And you can rent where you go. You want to move to Texas, you can still rent there. Yeah. And now you got in in Toronto and you're collecting rent. That sur- surplus, honestly, depending, because Toronto has really high renting rates anyway, right? Yeah. So... I think this is all to say that everyone should take an economics course because not understanding the economy makes things just so much more difficult for you in just purchasing period, just like in consumerism, whether it be, and you know, the thing is too, with real estate, I think real estate is a huge investment that people don't think about when they're like thinking about investments, they think about stocks, they think about mutual funds, they think about savings plans, crypto crypto but at the end of the day i can't like real estate i feel like will always appreciate for the most part it will most likely appreciate whereas stocks are and mutual funds so much less flexible like they'll probably appreciate but again if something happens in japan yeah. and it affects toronto stocks it's depreciating yeah, and an you can't get that money out an individual company can go bankrupt if you're investing with individual stocks right versus yeah the chance of your property going under I, I think it's a zero unless something physical even then you got insurance yeah so i i can't see a situation yeah, that, i can't I even make it up all the time i'm like what is the perfect example I, like, I can't make up a situation yeah. in which your property in toronto goes to zero as long as you buy for the long term it's you have the leverage which we haven't even discussed but that's the biggest thing in summary of stocks versus real estate is on average toronto real estate's gone up about I round up to six percent. I'm sorry, I round up to seven percent, but the exact number is like six point eight percent year over year. That's taking the the bad years and the good years. So now, if you leverage it at four to one, um, that's assuming what it's four to one would be a twenty five percent down. So, yeah, you'd be making a return of close to twenty twenty five percent. There's no stock that can make that year oh no consistently no chance consist and that's the thing too consistency right because yeah it like stocks aren't as consistent again it it comes back to that financial literacy piece where i don't think people are as financially literate as they should be when making these decisions right i think one thing for me is like understanding the like having this conversation there's things that you're saying that make sense to me and i think mainly because i used to work at the bank Right, like I'm understanding of certain terminologies or like the way certain things function because I literally had to do people's mortgages for them. And they said crazy things back then because I think I was like 18 when I was working there. So yeah, if, if you have any opportunities to do any financial literacy courses, whether it be for real estate or just financial services and the economy in general, I would highly, highly recommend it to everybody. 
But yeah, so I guess we really derailed from yeah, this topic. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is a good conversation. I think it's very informative for people, again, who are looking to buy or sell um, in the GTA. I don't know if you do just like around the GTA as well. So just... yeah, our, my focus is downtown Toronto and, and Etobicoke. Mm. Um, I go up to Vaughn. I have to know Vaughn just because I'm Italian and some Italians out there. So yeah, Vaughn, Etobicoke, <laughs> and Toronto are yeah. like the two main things. Scarborough, I don't know well enough to be able to properly advise. Yeah. and then the outskirts of that. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. But well see, enough. that's fair though. That's like you're kind of setting your physical boundaries on where you can and can't. Um, but at least that provides your clients with like better recommendations, I guess, throughout the city. Um, but you kind of touched on this a little bit before, um, in terms of work-life balance, you said you take the time to take lunch outside of work, but what other things, I guess, do you do to maintain that work-life harmony? Oof. Um, something I've done recently, I can remind someone a year ago, um, is have two phones. It's, it's allows me to, let's say, go out and not bring my work phone or not have it with me when I don't need it. Obviously if there's a pending deal or if there's a client who needs a response and it's late at night, then I have it with me if I know there's something incoming. Um, but like if I need to spend quality time with my girlfriend or if there's a specific family event, I can put my work phone away or leave it at home and just focus on my personal phone. And I know it sounds like a stupid little thing to just have the two phones, but it, it's crazy how much it's personal. No, helped. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, even if you don't respond to the email, mm -hmm. let's say if I'm laying on the couch and it's midnight and I'm messaging my buddies, but then a work email will come through, even though I don't answer it, you're answering it in your head and you're stressing out about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So by not having that phone physically there at certain hours, mm -hmm. it's helped. So that's, it's a little tip, but, and it's done wonders for me. I think that's a great tip though, because even like when I'm at work, for example, if someone texts me and it comes up, like I'll immediately need to reply. Otherwise, I'm going to be thinking about this yeah. for forever. Same thing goes if I get like a work message or a work email and it pops up, I'm going to be thinking about it until I reply. Yeah. So I think that's a really good tip. And again, because you're, you're kind of creating your own schedule and you're doing things as you and your client see fit if you don't create that boundary like that boundary will never exist yeah for most part. burnout's so, real i've burned out lots of yeah. times and it's not good because then so in sales someone once said um i don't know if it's a quote or if i heard someone told me it was you know you're burned out in sales when you get a new hot lead and you're like, oh my God, another lead. I don't want to deal with this. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I think I felt that way too. When it was like, you you did so much. And I think it was almost like it was overwhelming. So you did so much so quickly. And you might not have even thought burnout was a real thing. And then next thing you know, you're like, wait, I don't want to action any of yeah. this. Or I don't like my job that much anymore. Yeah. It you really feel like the the fun being taken out of, of your role. And that's, you know, that's where burnout kind of thrives, really, because that's how that's when you get there, right? Sometimes it's difficult to even acknowledge that you're in like a burnout kind well, of yeah, phase. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, You don't know until someone's like, hey, are you doing good? And you're like, 
oh, maybe I'm not doing good. Like, yeah. Like, like, right? Like, recently I felt it and I had to go away and I yeah. did and it worked. And you came back, like, I went to Mexico in December and I came back, like, ready to work. I love that. Yeah. Like, that's that's the thing, right? I feel like when you're when you take those vacations and you don't come back ready to work, clearly you miss something as part of the vacation. Either you were thinking about work too much or you mm-hmm. actually even worked part partially. Um so having those boundaries I think is really important. And and if you don't have that work life balance, I feel like you can't even determine like where where the stress from work seeps into your personal life. And how that affects you overall. Yeah, so I think the best thing that I, I want to do this year, I still haven't done, but I plan on doing it, is like booking the time off in advance throughout mm-hmm. the year. So at a major corporation, you can like kind of do that because generally the bosses will push you. Oh, you have to take your vacation hours. You can't go without taking your vacation yeah. hours. Mandatory. Versus as working for yourself, it's like, oh, you just keep going. Like you said, there's always another sale to be mm-hmm. made or you, you're never done. So I want to pre-book my vacations or time off not necessarily going away but time off it's like oh i'm off this week yeah and have a book throughout the year and take the four weeks off or five weeks off whatever i want to take yeah yeah um but have it pre-booked in the schedule so even your clients know it's oh i'm off this week and as mm-hmm. long as you tell people ahead of time it's yeah fine. no it's one's accountable too i've never personally lost a client by taking time off as long as you've told them ahead of time yeah it works but that's really good though I think I really want to focus on work-life balance throughout this podcast anyway because, yeah, people just don't acknowledge it until it's, like, too late sometimes and then it's, like, you're super burnt out and you're, like, Yeah, even affects everything quit? else, right? <laughs> Relationships and everything. Like, exactly. My girlfriend's in sales, too, so she understands it at least. And yeah. Even her, like, this weekend, like, she got called in twice to work. So we had to drop everything and she had to go to work. Oh. Uh, which is fine because I understand it because I'm in sales. Mm-hmm. But if you're with a significant other who doesn't get that, yeah. that can be a huge strain oh, on the relationship. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I don't get it. Like you're putting your work before me. Before, it's like, yeah. well, no, this is the work. This is like the yeah. way it is. Yeah. But th- that's also the thing, right? It's like you creating that communication and understanding with your partner or your family just so that they also know like hey this is just part of the job but if you have a structured a nine to five mentality which is not a bad mentality like i almost wish i had it but it, if yeah. you have that and you're programmed that way sometimes you just don't, you just get, don't it. get it yeah no that's fair that's fair my i was saying to you like my dad has really i've never seen this before but he works nine to five maybe like eight to five eight thirty to five always takes lunch always eats breakfast and 5 p.m. hits and he's he's out done you can ask him what happened during the day he's like oh you know I went to work it's as if nothing ever stresses him out at work which I know it does because like working from home I literally hear it (laughs) in the room next door that there's issues right but it was just it's very inspiring because I'm like I wish that I would be able to just finish my work and just not stress about it until I go to work the next day because it does seep into your personal life and then it could affect, you know, even friendships, right? If you're super stressed out and your friends notice that too, right? And then you have to, and again, they may not get it or you may not get why they're stressed out. It creates like a really weird negative it more balance. Of a, more of a generational thing because I feel like my dad does the exact same thing. Like he's never once complained about work. Just like, yeah, everything was fine. And then I, no, it's stressful stuff, but sometimes, yeah. but sometimes he's always like level-headed about it. Like nothing ever gets them work well. Yeah, it's 
it's interesting. Maybe it is a generational thing. Could also be a dad thing. They're yep. like, I'm just not talking about this. Like, okay, <laughs> one or the other. Um, but I guess the last question I have for you then is, what does job satisfaction mean to you? Oof, this is a tough one. <laughs> what does job satisfaction mean? It's almost two things, and I guess the first thing that comes off the top of my head is when you've given like so much information and you've listened to your client to like what their actual and true needs are. And you found them their ideal place and, and they're like so, so happy that they like, let's say, get you a closing gift, mm-hmm. right? So generally I don't do much for closing gifts because I just, that was never my thing. I never did closing gifts. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll service the client throughout the relationship after. Um, but many times clients have got me a closing gift. So oh, it's so it's cute. interesting in that like, okay, like it, they were so blown, not that I wanted or, or expected by any means, but they've been so blown away that here, here's something for you. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like I should be, if anything, I should be getting you something. But then that shows like it was truly like so above and beyond and like they were so blown away that they felt that they should still have to get me something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like that's like a next level, like this is crazy. Um, and like, yeah, the satisfaction part is like when they knew nothing and then by the end of it, they should almost be the realtor mm-hmm. or like be able to help somebody else or if a friend or if someone's talking about buying real estate, it's like, oh, well, this is what you should do X, Y, Z when at the beginning they knew nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and obviously referrals. So like I've heard once a client of mine was at a party and another friend of mine ran into him who brought up my name, didn't know that I was a real estate agent. And he's like, oh, you know, Louie? Um, he's like, he's my real estate agent. And like, I did a transaction from like two years ago, mm-hmm. but he still views me as, oh, he's my guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a complete stranger I met, not a, not a friend who yeah. also works with me, just a complete stranger I met and who was telling people, oh, I'm his real estate agent. Like even two years after that, we haven't seen each other yeah. or anything. Oh, that's so comforting. So those I think are two big things. Yeah. Like, when someone randomly runs into, runs into my friend at a real, at a party and says, yeah. I'm his real estate agent. Like. Oh, that's like, yeah, that's very like satisfactory to hear. And, and again, in an industry rewarding. that, but in an industry that there's, everyone knows a real, everyone knows five real estate mm-hmm. agents, right? Especially today. Yeah. No, I think it's very comforting for sure to have that like relationship someone. And I guess it's also a testament to like how well you can do your job is if they do feel that way. And they're like, we want to continue working with you. Mm-hmm forever (laughs) um but yeah thanks everybody else for listening and i hope that you also enjoyed the episode for today um if you do have any questions for louis we'll be posting a q a on instagram after so feel free to ask any other questions that you may have and thanks for joining this so you want to be me podcast